Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to Price Controls on Fuel Would Be Disastrous for Americans. Please welcome Darren Baxt, Senior Research Fellow for Environmental Policy and Regulation at the Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon. My name is Darren Baxt, and I am Senior Research Fellow in Environmental Policy and Regulation at the Heritage Foundation Center for Energy, Climate, and Environment. I want to thank you for joining us today as we discuss the Consumer Fuel Price Gouging Prevention Act, which was barely passed in the House and passed completely with Democratic support only. The bill would impose federal price controls on gasoline. We're going to discuss the bill. We're going to discuss the fallacies of price controls, the myths surrounding fuel markets, and real solutions to help alleviate the pain that Americans are facing at the pump. So I'm pleased to be joined today here at the far end by David Kreuzer, who's a senior economist at the Institute for Energy Research, and also by my heritage colleague here, Jack Spencer, who is Senior Research Fellow for Energy and Environmental Policy. So let's get right to it, guys. Jack, can you provide us a big picture overview of the House bill? Sure. Thank you, Darren, for having me today. Uh, it's such an abomination of a bill. I mean, price controls are bad, and they're always bad. We see, you know, we see what happens with price controls. You end up with shortages, and um, prices always end up going higher eventually. Um, all kinds of bad things happen. But this bill is especially pernicious in that um, it doesn't just set a cap. What it does is it empowers um, bureaucrats and politicians who don't know anything about what fuel prices should be, by the way, um, to decide basically on a whim uh, if they think prices are too high. And at that point, that if, uh, if those prices are too high, that um, the retailers and wholesalers should be held accountable. Now, it can't, be, it can't just be done willy-nilly. The president first has to declare an energy emergency, which, again, it doesn't really determine what, the, what, what makes that uh, designation happen. Just the president gets to decide. Now, it is limited for 30 days, so it's not that bad, except for this one uh, additional fact, which is that they can just extend it. So essentially, what this bill would do is... Uh, for an unlimited duration, create a system where politicians and bureaucrats can decide what the uh, appropriate level for prices are and, uh, and fine people a lot of money if they don't uh, fulfill that, that um, what they, they think are the right, the right prices. So um, this is a sure recipe for, as, we, as you put it in this, uh, disaster. It does sound disastrous. And David... Uh... It sounds like high gas prices are being used as a pretext for the federal government to just basically interfere in fuel markets. Am I reading that right? Is that a reasonable interpretation? Yeah, I think that they're trying to say that these high gas prices are due to something other than supply and demand, but they're not. They're due to supply and demand. They're always due to supply and demand. We see this over and over. Um, and we'll, I think, talk later about why the supply is not higher than it might otherwise have been, and therefore the price uh, is going up so high. Um, and they, they want to come up with a reason to say we can fix it. And they're going to use policies, as Jack was outlining, that will not fix it, but will in fact make the situation worse. And, um, you know, we, we've seen it before. 
and speaking about seeing it before, I hate to admit that I remember the 1970s and, well, I was just very, very young. Uh, but can you tell us what happened in the 1970s? Because, I, you know, we kind of went through this before. So you're looking at the guy with the gray hair to tell you about the <laughs> 70s, huh? Um, yeah, I can tell you what we did. They had uh, general price controls on everything because they were running up inflation, just like we're seeing now, because they were running huge deficits. The Federal Reserve was accommodating those by essentially increasing the money supply. They started to wind down the general price controls, but they kept them on uh, petroleum and natural gas and then gasoline all the way through. Um, and what we saw were, were what you get when you have binding price controls, you get shortages, and the shortages manifested themselves as gas lines. As it was first come, first serve. So people were waiting in line. They're waiting, uh, you know, stories of people waiting hours was not unusual. I waited in the line almost three hours one time. But typically 20 minutes, 30 minutes, something like that, uh, which dramatically increases the cost of buying it, if you consider your time, and people did. So we, we've seen it before. Um, it doesn't work. Unfortunately, they were popular. <laughs> that's that's a really scary thing. Yeah, you were saying that, but before we yeah yeah they, that, can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, the, well, I went back and looked at the uh, Gallup Monthly Index um, for what people thought about the energy situation, and in the mid '70s, and again in the late '70s, those are the two times: the uh, Arab oil embargo of '73, '4, and '5, and then the fall of the Shah of Iran in '79, were when the markets got really tight. Um, and the, the Gallup people did polling, and it turned out that people wanted, they didn't blame price controls for the problems. They wanted stronger price controls. They wanted ration coupons. Um, but they also didn't like the results. And so I think it's worth noting that no president who, who, who administered the price controls uh, you know, had a second term. So uh, there's, there's hope there, but you know, we, we need to do a job of ed educating people. So that's... Yeah, please. Can, can I, yeah. I mean, we need to look at this in the context of, of, of the way these things are presented. There's no transparency involved here. You have politicians who want to get reelected. Um, so it's not as if they're saying, we're going to impose price controls. That's going to cause the, the bad things, yeah. and, um, and, and you'll get lower prices. It's going to be great. What they do is they say, we're doing all we can. We're going to keep your prices low. And then they blame the negative things on other people. And that's the problem with all this. That's why, David, what you start off with is so important. They don't respect supply and demand, or they act like that's not what's driving the prices because they don't understand supply and demand, or they want to take advantage of other people's um, uh, people who are more concerned with things than supply and demand. They want to put food on their table and get their kids through school, and they take advantage of that. Um, and that's the problem. That's why that's why you get these weird polling results. It's, it's because no one's transparent in this whole dynamic. Right. And they, we, we saw it in the 70s. They wanted to blame the oil companies and also OPEC. Um, and so they, they thought we we're going to have and they actually proposed towards the end of the 70s uh, profits. You know, what they call it, you know, excess profits tax like we're, we're seeing here also being proposed in another bill. Um, but the, but the price controls, they think they could fix it. You know, they wanted to go back. We saw it in World War II, and people thought, yes, we're, we're moral equivalent of war is what Jimmy Carter called it. And so we're going to do the things we did then that uh, amazingly did really not work in World War II either. Different topic. But the, the price controls were, trust me, you, I lived through it. They were horrible, okay? You don't want to do that again. Uh, they didn't make the, the gasoline uh, cheaper when you include all the costs. And in fact, they, they restricted the supply, so it probably drove the total cost of filling up your car up compared to, matter of fact, we saw it in the 80s. They got rid of price controls. Boom. Things resolved. So let's talk about prices. Um, 
So the week ending May 30th, regular retail gas prices were $4.62. That is a 93% increase compared to the week that President Biden took office. And so in other words, prices have almost doubled. And I want to stress, this isn't the Putin tax. Uh, I can't stress that enough. And one good thing is that Americans do appear to recognize that's just misinformation. You know, they're not falling. They're not falling for that. Retail prices had already increased by 48% before Russia invaded Ukraine. So certainly not the Biden, I mean, the Putin tax. We're seeing prices at $6 a gallon in California. So given the impact, I'm just wondering why not have price controls? I mean, the, the prices are out of control. What, what should be done? <laughs> well, Jack, actually, let me, Jack, let me start with you. I mean, it, it is out of hand, and people are getting hammered. Well, what we need to do is um, get government out of the way and allow gas producers and oil producers to produce gas and oil. Now, the problem here is that, um, you know, to, to listen to President Biden, he would say, or his administration, we're doing all we can. We, we're, we, you know, we have 9,000 leases that aren't used. We are reducing regulatory control. They make all that, make it sound like that's, they're, they're doing everything they can. That's not true. None of it's true. Here's why. Um, you can't just go out and, and, and get your, you know, your drill, your hand drill, and like drill a hole in the ground and like oil starts shooting out. It takes a massive investment. And while the, while the Biden administration is talking out of one side of their mouth um, about they're doing all they can, what they're actually trying to do, if you look at the, the horizon of their policies, is they're trying to put these guys out of business. I mean, you saw Biden two, a week and a half ago uh, almost joyous about the high gas prices. It's going to force through the transition <laughs> that, they're, that they're trying to do. So whenever their long-term policy horizon is all about putting these folks out of business, there's no near-term policy they can do that would, that, that would incentivize them to make the long-term investments necessary so that they could start producing oil and get these prices under control. So whenever, you, whenever you're subjecting um, all of these projects to lit litigation, to additional um, uh, environmental, all sorts of environmental review that, that goes beyond uh, legitimate health and safety reasons. These are all the things that are chilling the investment both today and for tomorrow that are keeping these, these, these prices where they, where they are, which is high and not bringing them down. David, can you explain to us about how prices are signals and why it's so important? Yeah, prices um, force people to be honest about their preferences. That is, a, if we were to distribute gasoline by, by asking people how much they need it, you know, then we'd, we'd be in a game with one, the, you know, the biggest liar wins. You know, I really, really, really need it. I really, 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 really need it. And who can say the most really is against it? You know, that's a horrible way to allocate things. Uh, political process is, is an equally bad way. So what the prices do is they say, okay, we don't, here's how much we have. We're going to give it to the people that are willing to give up something to get it. All right. And you, you're not going to be giving up $4 for a gallon of gasoline if it's only worth 3 And so that it does two things. It helps allocate it more efficiently. That's the first thing. And that's the hard part. That's the painful part. Um, it, it, dis, it discriminates. I mean, it, it, it moderates hoarding because, you know, you're not going to be hoarding. The hoarding is you buy it when it's cheap. You hold it when nobody has it. Well, if you, everybody can get it whenever they want just at a higher price, then you're going to have to pay that high price. The hoarders disappear. Um, and another important thing is that it, it gives a signal to the producers that, hey, we really need this stuff. 
You know, we use extraordinary measures to bring uh, oil to the market. You know, go, do, do drilling faster, hire people. Maybe you're only paying 20 bucks an hour for the roughnecks. Now you got to pay 40, 50 dollars an hour, whatever. Get people, get a, maybe people can drop out of college, go work. We need it really badly. That's what the prices tell us. And we see that it works. We've seen, you know, we see this over and over. People respond to these prices, and producers will respond. But not if they're threatened with not getting that reward. So that's what the price controls, and that's what the the, the financial uh, threats that they're making about you know killing their profits. You know, this excess profits tax is just absurd. And that's it's a good idea if you want to make sure people can't afford to drive their cars. It also doesn't work, David. Right? If if they're killing the future, if they're saying that even if high prices now right. would would incentivize that additional exactly. investment, if you're saying on the back, if all your actions are, we're going to put you out of business in the future, make it impossible, then that still disincentivizes the investments now that would make that, be, allow you to take better advantage of those prices, bring more supply and drive prices down over time. Exactly. Suppose you, you, you want to drill a well and you're going to get it done in a month and a half. We'll have that oil on the market in a month and a half. But those costs have to be recouped over years. And if we're saying you're only going to be able to get the money for the rest of this year, and then we're going to come slam you if you look at all the other policies we have, that reduces the likelihood that you're going to drill that well today, which we and, need. And not to be cynical about it, but I can't help it sometimes. <laughs> um, if you look at where we are in the political calendar, there are a lot of folks who are facing election, and, um, and this gives them an opportunity to say, we care about the prices, we're doing something about it, because their, their time horizon is a few months, whereas these people are making these investments, their time horizon is a few years. And, um, and I think that the politics of all this also is coming into play. Oh, absolutely. So you, you could say we're doing something about it. The lines, people won't really start noticing until a little bit later. They won't, and unfortunately, they won't know who to blame for the lines. They'll say shortage. Back in the 70s, there the was the people who were the zero population growth, the limited resources people were saying, aha, these lines are proof that we're running out of natural resources. Yeah. And people bought that. You know, they say, OK, it's not price controls. It's we're running out of stuff. Um, and if you look at the, you know, the proven reserves we had in the 70s, we've used more than that since then. And the reserves we have now are greater. <laughs> so they were wrong. I have a question for you, Darren. I know you've, you've, done, you've done a lot of work on price gouging in, um, in energy space, but also in other spaces you've worked on. What, sort of, what, what is your views on price gouging and really the fallacy of the whole idea? Well, I'll just keep it brief because you guys are the stars here. Um, look, the FTC has consistently found that allegations and claims of price gouging in the gas market are unfounded. I mean, constantly, report after report. And then whenever gas prices are unusually high, Liberal, liberal policymakers will then kind of bring up price gouging, and it's just a clockwork. So, but David, wh why does the FTC kind of keep? <laughs> because, as I said, us. you can explain it with supply and demand. All right. In, in order for the price gouging to work, you have to hold product off the market. All right. You you can't charge a higher price for more stuff. You charge a higher price if there's less on the market. So, um, and the the for the gouging to work. You would have to, uh, you know, Exxon would be holding stuff off the market so that Shell and BP and everybody else would get the high price, and they, they don't. And you can look at it. They're not, they're not holding it back, okay? They're, they're, they're putting the stuff on the market. It's just that, the, you know, we have a rebound from, the, from COVID, um, and, you know, the, the world economy is coming back. Uh, 
They, the threats to the drillers have, were made very real from, the, from you know, day one of this administration. That, that certainly put a dampening effect on the, on the price of drill, drilling to, to the price of gasoline. That is, you know, back in 2008, we saw a larger response to these higher prices. Uh, because we weren't threatening them so severely. I'm hoping eventually they'll, they'll, they'll catch up and people will wise up and say, hey, we can't keep doing this. This bill doesn't send that message. This bill says, no, you're not going to be able to, to collect uh, the rewards from doing what we want you to do. So, our, go ahead. A colleague of all of ours at the competitive, who works at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, Ben Lieberman, um, he, he does a great job of explaining the fallacy of the whole thing by pointing out that uh, it would be odd that if oil companies could just increase prices and increase their profits whenever they wanted to, uh, why haven't they been doing it for years and years and, you know, suffering at, or I shouldn't say suffering, um, selling their product at, at, at very low prices and only decided now um, that now's the time to, to increase them. So Ben, I think, does a nice job in, in describing that dynamic. So, so let me ask, why are gas prices so high? Well, you know, I, 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 it's clearly a combination of things. One is we had um, really low oil prices back in the depths of the COVID uh, epidemic. And um, in matter of fact, at that time, the liberals were saying, see, this shows that the oil industry is dying and we need to get away from it. When they have higher prices, they don't say, oh, we were wrong um, at any event. So the, 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 the coming out of the recession, which, you know, we were doing, you know, even before the, the, the new administration came in, um, that's going to increase the demand. Uh, we, of course, we have just inflation underwriting everything, prices going up because of this phenomenal deficits that we've been running. Um, and I, I don't think we can say that the, you know, the war in Ukraine had nothing to do with it. I think that's, that's fairly significant. Um, I, I would, if, if you want to use that as the major reason, and I don't, but if you do, which President Biden seems to want to do, I would ask him, do you think your actions with your disastrous pullout in Afghanistan, um, the, the, the way you sort of uh, kneeled down to Iran and the way you're, you, you seem to not care about bad actors. And then, worst of all, he said, well, maybe if it's only a minor incursion, we won't have to do much. I mean, he, he sent almost every signal you could send that, hey, you know, we're, we're not looking, you know, um, it, when we were looking, but the signal was we weren't. And so I think you can blame him percentage-wise. We don't know. We can't run things backwards. But you know, the, the stuff he did, he didn't do anything to dissuade Putin from going in. He didn't do anything to increase the production of petroleum. All right? Everything was working in the wrong direction. And he's doing, yeah, literally in the wrong direction if you look at um, everything David said, but also things like the, uh, the ESG stuff that, that's happening on Wall Street. You, know, you need capital to invest. And if all of the, the political winds are, are blowing against you for these large investments, that makes it difficult. Whenever you're, um, whenever you have the ESG mandates coming, um, that's hard. Whenever you are increasing the regulatory authority of places like, um, you know, the regulatory agencies, um, all around the, the, the notion of, uh, of alleged, um, the, the alleged climate crisis. These are all things that um, disincentivize the sorts of investments that are necessary to, to, to respond to, the, to, to bring down gas prices. But I would say this, David alluded to, um, we had historic low gas uh, oil prices for, for a while. And when 
whenever prices are low, when the economy's going fine, when all these things are the way they were, it's easy to, to put some bad policy here and bad policy there and to create these, these frictions in the marketplace because things are generally moving along. What happens, though, then, whenever you have a crisis, when there's a spike or you have COVID or whatever it is, um, all these things accumulate and make it very difficult for the economy or the gas markets to respond, adjust, and move forward. That's the magic of free markets. That's the magic of free enterprise. When the government gets out of the way, free enterprise doesn't guarantee um, low prices forever. What it guarantees or what it pro the, the, the promise of free markets is that when we're confronted, when the economy is confronted with a challenge, that we can respond, that the economy can respond in an efficient way, allow us to readjust and move forward so that everyone benefits. And when government gets involved in that process and it accumulates over time, it creates frictions in the economy, makes it more difficult to adjust. You end up with high prices, shortages, all the things that we're seeing now as we're confronted with, with, with these multiple crises that, that we have. I, I think a, 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 a better term, some, some people think of Daddy Warbucks when you say free market, is economic freedom. I mean, that's what we're talking about, people being able to buy from whom they want to buy, sell to whom they want to sell, invest where they want to invest. Uh, I work at the Institute for Energy Research, and we have some people putting together a list of all the things that has been done since Inauguration Day by the administration and the leadership on, on the Hill that work against production of oil, that is, will raise oil and gas prices um, or make driving your car more expensive. We, the, the list is close to 90, I think. They're still working on it. You know, but the very first day, you know, he, he uh, canceled the XL pipeline. Now, that wasn't scheduled to come online for a couple of years, but I talked with one of the people that was working there that lost his job that day. He said if they wanted to put, you know, push it as hard, we could have had it already. All right, now, that's one guy, but it's certainly pushing in the wrong direction. Um, they canceled leases that had already been issued for drilling. They, they put moratoria on, other, on leases elsewhere. Um, they raised, uh, put back in force regulations that make it more expensive to refine petroleum. Um, over and over and over, just everywhere you look, and most of the people don't know this, and the ESG things that Jack mentioned, it's virtually every part of the federal government has been using this as their banner, ESG, um, environment, uh, social justice, and governance. Um, and there's a lot of bad done there, and it's amazing how much bad is done for the people they claim to be wanting to help. That is, the poor people who are, you, know, you raise their fuel prices, you raise the cost of cars. All these things are bad for them. Uh, but the, you know, the Treasury Secretary was in on it. They, were, they tried to put somebody in, the controller of the currency they wanted, somebody that was going to make sure the banks were going to be penalized for lending to you know, oil and gas interests. It's just over and over. So, you know, it's, it's a death by a thousand cuts thing that most of the people out there don't know is happening. Just a question, both of you. Just messaging. The Biden administration said this war on energy is over. What would happen? And we believed it. <laughs> well, that, that's the, the believing part the, is the trick. Uh, well, then we would see things starting to come back on. We would hope that we would see investment going faster. But it's, it's, um, at this point, you, it's not a, a one-week fix. You know, they've been spent a year and a half you know, making it more expensive. They, had to, they would have to go back and actually change the rules and the regulations, which you can't do by just saying abracadabra. You know, some of them have to go through uh, a process again. But it, it would be good. It would, it, what it would mainly do, or one of the most important things it would do, <laughs> is kill this stupid bill that would put price controls that really the, where the damage is down the road on those. It's, if, if that gets enacted, uh, 
you know, then, it, then it's a total mess. It's a mess for the economy, but it's a huge mess for consumers. David, can I ask, ask you a question? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I've heard you talk about this before. Could you talk a little bit about the role of the futures markets and how, how forward-looking the forward-looking environment can have an impact on today and how that all fits in, because I think that sort of goes to Yeah, yeah, we, we touched on it earlier, and I won't, won't talk specifically about futures markets, but markets being future-looking. <clears throat> that is, in, when you make an investment to drill a well, as I said before, you know, you're not looking just to sell the oil this week, all right? It's oil that's, that, that that well will play out for years. And if you think you're not going to get the reward, you know, five years down the road that you're expecting, that reduces how willing you are to drill now, which reduces how much oil we get today. And so that's, that's the problem. So they're, the, even when, you know, the, the, this list of 90 whatever it is things that I have here, a lot of them are in the financial area. Even though they're not enacted yet, they are threats to the future. And to, so there, there's a, an expected possibility. And that's how all these financial markets work, expected returns and so on. Um, and so that reduces the expected returns. That reduces the amount that people want to invest now. I'm talking with somebody that, that works with a bunch of this natural gas uh, drillers out west. And six months ago, she was saying, no, we, our members are saying they're having trouble getting financing. Now, this is for the natural gas. So if, when, when you hear about the, the, the blackouts and the brownouts and the electric, electricity out west, you know, you'll know that that was hindered or, or helped. I mean, the blackouts weren't hindered. The, the electricity supply was hindered. And the blackouts more likely because of the, the, this pressure to cut to stymie oil, uh, excuse me, natural gas production. So slightly off, off target uh, topic, but it's the same idea. It's great. So what are, what are well, go ahead. One quick thing, because it's equally important. Getting all the regulation right, and if, the pre if Biden was saying war on energy is over, that's great. But he also, he also needs to stop the, the war on labor because you need people to do these things. And all of the, the, the regulatory obstacles that we're seeing in, in energy work, um, there are similar things, though motivated for different reasons. Uh, on the energy side, or on the the labor side, that are keeping people from getting into the workforce, we need we need to get rid of the war on business, and and that that that's the issue. So we're getting to some of the solutions. What are some of the solutions, David? What, just got a few solutions you'd have to yeah. address well, the rising. We, gas going back, you know, they they over and over they they reinstituted red tape that the Trump administration had gotten rid of. Now they they call it environmental protection. You always say that. But we, we know, you know, a lot of the, the NEPA rules, you know, that's the, the National Environmental Policy Act, right? The, the, the thing has created an industry of environmental impact assessments. All it does is put sand in the gears, all right? It doesn't save any animals, all right? In, in most of these cases, they know it's going to pass, but it makes it so expensive that some people give up. And we see that sort of thing over and over. Um, and so when we, what we want to do is go back, get rid of the unnecessary red tape, all right? Get rid of this talk about increasing profits taxes of $150 billion on oil companies. That's not going to make them want to drill more, all right? So it's, it's almost like turn it into opposite day. You know, whatever, whatever the Biden administration has done for the past year and a half, do the opposite of that. It, it's, it's ridiculous that it's that close to, to being so perverse. You know, in the being kind of a believer in economic freedom, sometimes people on the Hill or the public, they want the government to do things. And that means to actually intervene in a way. And Jack talked a lot about the problems of intervention. I just kind of want to hammer on the intervention problem. It, it never allows the market to actually address the issue. There are supply chains that already exist 
that know how to adjust, when the government intervenes, it messes up the supply chains. Can you kind of just, I think it's important to rehash like why the government intervention kind of makes it more difficult for the government, for the supplies chain to kind of adjust to all these issues and to actually get things back in equilibrium. Well, start off with pipelines are clearly supply chains, <clears throat> you know, and when you, uh, you know, actually cancel the, the KXL pipeline had it been approved, you know, they were getting ready. They did it. They had the money. Um, and, uh, and it's not clear that they had the authority, but in fact, they did, you know, and so they, we, we don't have that pipeline. It's going to bring 800,000 barrels per day of, of oil to be refined by U.S. refineries. Uh, and so that sort of thing. The, and when you do that, you have these welders that were welding. This is the fellow I was talking about. I was on a, on a house panel with him. You know, that group gets broken up. The people that are building, the, the teams that you have assembled to build the pipelines, you know, they, they're dispersed. They go do other jobs. They're not going to just sit around and wait for somebody to say, I changed my mind. Uh, I was wrong about that KXL thing. Go back and make it again. It'll take, a, it'll take some time to, to get that back. And you can see that everywhere. You know, the, you know, the people that would be drilling in the, the, the deep water in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, if, if they're not there, they're going to be doing other jobs. Uh, in the refineries, the people that would, that would maintain those refineries, if you if you put these restrictions on to make it difficult to repair them and build new ones, which we almost don't have any new ones, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to start it up. But, I, but markets are great. People are great. Um, and if the rewards are there, you know, they'll, they'll get to it faster than the government will. So Jack, what are some key takeaways for us today? We need to stop the war on energy. We need to, to – there, there, there are nearly 5,000 permits that are awaiting approval. They should be approved. The government needs to, uh, once they approve them, get out of the way and allow the people who know how to produce energy to produce it, the people know how to distribute it, to distribute it, so that the people who need to use it can use it. Um, there are lots of, of solutions. They all come down to, uh, to government getting out of the way. There should be, public, you know, we need to, there is an appropriate place for regulation, but we should not uh, mistake appropriate regulation um, for overregulation, uh, or is that backwards? We need the right amount. Yeah. Focus on you know, the, the health and safety rules, but that's about it. We do criticize the government for trying to, or some legislators who may want to push for price controls. It's kind of this assumption that they know what the gas prices should be. Does anybody in the world know what the gas prices should be? Is there any way to know? And that kind of gets back to prices again. Yeah, uh, that? I, unfortunately, some people think they know. And, and they, they try to get themselves in charge. No, no, nobody. There, there's so many things going on. You know, maybe there's a, a refinery that goes offline in, in Bulgaria, you know, that's going to have some effect on the market there that triggers all the way around. And that's what prices are good for. You know, that, that will be reflected in the price of, of the gasoline that's on the market that's telling somebody here, okay, now it's not a good time to do the maintenance on our refinery. We'll, do, we'll delay it for a month. All of these sorts of things uh, uh, are done... Where the, where the information is spread out. There's no single focal point for all the information. And that's, that's what's good about the economic freedom and the markets and prices. David, thank you so much. Thank you, yeah. Jack, thank you. Thank well. you, Darren. Yeah. And I want to thank all of you for joining us today and for those watching or recording of the event. I encourage you to visit heritage.org to learn more about this issue and also all of our energy, climate, and environmental work and also future events. So again, thank you. Have a great day. And we look forward to seeing you again soon.